0: Welcome to Inspire Churches podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, Inspire family, friends, those of you who are joining us for the first time. I welcome you. My name is Philip. I am one of the pastors at Inspired Church. If you're here at 915, I'd like to greet you. If you're here at 1115, again, uh, thank you so much for joining us. This morning, we are going to be uh, going over Romans 15, and we're going to cover 33 verses. Now, the exciting thing about this is that if you've been with us since September, we are two chapters away from finishing the book of Romans together as a church family. So today, we're going to cover the entire Uh, Chapter 15, 33 verses, and really the first half of chapter 15, verses 1 through 13, Paul is going to finish a conversation that he started in chapter 14. Pastor Roger did a great job of laying the groundwork for that regarding unity and division in the church. And then in verses 14 through 33, Paul's gonna change the subject entirely and begin to talk about his own personal ministry as a missionary. And so even though there's gonna be a subject change, I'm gonna do my best to say some things about Paul's personal mission, but I'm really gonna focus in on the first half of chapter 15, which talks specifically about the unity of the church. And I love what Pastor Roger said last week. Unity is not uniformity. We need our differences. The goal isn't to be a church full of clones. We need our differences. And some would ask, well, why do we need differences? Listen, differences help us confront our unrealized idolatries. When somebody has a difference of opinion, uh, it, sometimes it could trigger us and it could expose things in our hearts that we did not know were there or they were buried and hidden beneath the service until a difference of opinion came in. And all of a sudden, an idolatry is exposed. We need differences. We do not need a church full of clones. So what Paul is trying to teach the church at Rome in chapters 14 and again here in 15 is that even though we may not always think alike, are you ready? The church should love alike. You see, if unity is the aim, if unity is the goal, then love is the primary way in which we achieve it. And this is what I love about the Apostle Paul. He tells the church, don't just talk about it, be about it. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into these 33 verses together. And we are going to press play. And we are going to go on this journey. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 15. Also, we do have a PDF available for you in the sermon guide in the comment box. On that PDF, you will find the scripture references to follow along and some other things we have for you. Um, But let's go into Romans 15, and we are going to read all 33 verses together right now. The scripture reads like this. We who are strong For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might find and have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. in hope now as we get to verse 14 paul changes the subject and begins to talk about his mission paul writes i myself And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Ukiah have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, Uh, His goal is to go to Spain, but if you know biblical history, you know that he'll never reach Spain. In fact, Paul will be killed. He'll be arrested and killed in Rome, but I want to focus mainly on this first section where Paul is finishing off his discussion regarding unity and division in the church. Because I feel like it is so relevant to us right now in this moment. Listen, in a divided world, we need a unified church. I'm going to say that again. In a divided world, we need a unified church. And I believe this is what Paul tells us in the text. How unity is possible, what unity looks like, and why unity even matters. So... How is unity possible? If you're looking for something profound, you're not going to find it here. I know a lot of times we look for that deep, mystical, magical thought that blows our mind. We've never heard it before but I want to tell you something. This principle is familiar. This principle is simple, yet it remains one of the most difficult things for the church to do, especially right now in America. Are you ready for the principle? The principle is this. Unity becomes perfect. Possible when we lay down our rights and pick up the rights of others. I'm going to say that again. In the church, unity becomes possible when we as the church lay down our rights and pick up the rights of others. You see, according to the Apostle Paul in verses 1 and 2, unity begins when the stronger in the body of Christ relinquish their position of strength to intentionally come alongside and lift up those who are weak. When this begins to happen, we begin to radically separate ourselves from the world and look like the church that God has called us to be, unfortunately, far too often. The church looks too much like the world, divided. But God is calling us not to be radically divided, but to be radically unified for his glory. Now, I want you to see this here in Romans chapter 14 and now in chapter 15, Paul is only echoing to the church in Rome what Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 20, 25 through 27. Do you remember this conversation? Jesus told his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you, but whoever would be great among you would be your servant. I'm going to say that again. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Listen, if you didn't believe in the realities of things like systemic injustice You do now, because in this world, in this system of this world, the weak are made to serve the strong. But in God's kingdom, in God's system, in God's church, the strong who are willfully ready to serve the weak in the systems of this world, the weak are dominated by the strong in the systems of this world. The weak are made to serve the strong, but in the system of the kingdom of God, the strong are made to serve the weak. If you didn't believe in privilege, guess what? In this world there is privilege, but in the kingdom, there is sacrifice. In this world, there is preference, but in the kingdom, there is difference. In the world, we go high to rub shoulders with the powerful, but in the kingdom, we stoop low to wash the feet of the weak. This is how unity is achieved in the body of Christ. Those who are privileged and preferred lay those rights down in order to lift up, bear with, and build up those who are weak. And if you disagree, or if you're unclear, Paul says, look no further than our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who embodied what it meant for supreme strength to lay down and to lift up Ultimate weakness. So, what does this actually look like? Paul gives us three examples in the text of how Jesus Christ embodied what the church should become. The first one is we look at Christ's incarnation, the second one is that we look at Christ's forgiveness. And the last one is we look at Christ's radical racial reconciliation. Number one, we look at Jesus's incarnation. Verse three in chapter 15 says this for Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now I want you to get this. I want you to see this Picture of Jesus, and I want you to see this picture of Jesus pre incarnate. What do I mean? I didn't say reincarnate, I said incarnate. Incarnate means Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us, but we know that prior to putting on flesh, Jesus has eternally existed with the Godhead. I want you to see this picture in eternity perfectly satisfied and in relational bliss beyond our imagination, Jesus said, I will go. I will leave my place of ultimate privilege. I will do it voluntarily. And then I will fully immerse myself with the hurting, the dying, the broken, the helpless, and the poor. And we in the church, even today, still struggle going outside and bending low for those who are in need. Where Jesus incarnated perfection. He left me perfection. And he still step down voluntarily into our world. How can we do this for the world if we still haven't done this for one another inside the church? Secondly, we look to Jesus' forgiveness. Verse 7 of chapter 15 says this, welcome one another And I love this. As Christ has welcomed you. That's deep. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Before we become intolerant of others, remember Christ tolerated you. Just sit and remember who you were. Just sit and remember your sins. Just sit and remember your rebelliousness. And before you can't stand someone else, remember Christ stood you. This is deep, maybe a little offensive, but we need to start accepting others in the church to the degree that Jesus accepted us. He accepted me with my innumerable blind spots and prejudices. He accepted me with my psychological hangups and mental shortcomings. He accepted me with my cultural naivety. He accepted me with my racism and prejudice. He accepted me in my selfish idolatry and my stubborn ignorance. And I love, love, love that Paul uses the word welcome. It implies so much more than just basic tolerance, but it implies hospitality and invitation. What is hospitality? An invitation to open up your private space and invite somebody in to invade that space, or better yet, invite them in so that you can see through their eyes and experience what they experience. Church, this is unity, this is solidarity, this is empathy, this is compassion. How can the church exemplify this to the world if we can't even get it right with one another? Number three, we look to Jesus. Are you ready? This shouldn't even be radical, to be honest. This should be obvious. But right now, in this season that we're in, it just feels like it's radical, but it shouldn't be. We look to Jesus, as racial reconciliation. Why is that so hard? (laughs) Why is it so hard for us to see racial reconciliation? Look what Paul says in verse eight. For I tell you, Christ became a servant. Why, why did he become a servant? To unify and reconcile back to one another what had been divided and separated because of sin. I want you to see this, sin separates, sin divides. Christ shed blood and broken body, first reconciled us back to God. But Christ shed blood and broken body, reconciled us back to one another. Six times in four verses, from verse nine to verse 12, Paul quotes Old Testament passages, pointing back to God's plan, are you ready? To unite Jew and Gentile in one body that would bring glory to God. Right now, in this moment, The church should be leading the way and serving like Christ, our black brothers and sisters. Right now in this moment, we should be listening and lamenting and doing all we can in our power to demand credible and lasting change in a system that has destroyed God's people. This is our moment, Inspired Church. If you're wondering where does Phil stand, where does Inspired Church stand? We stand for the oppressed and the marginalized. Marginalized. Inspired church, it's our moment to decide if we're going to be a church divided or a church united under the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. And I must tell you what the gospel implications are sin separates us from God, sin separates us from each other, sin separates us from creation, sin separates us from paradise. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the broken body of Christ on the cross brings us back again from that separation so that we are in relationship restored with God, with one another, and ultimately with creation and with paradise. This is the gospel. Why? Why does it matter? Why does unity matter? Why should we give up our rights? I, I like my rights. I, I kind of like my privilege. I like that I have strength. I like my, that, that my voice is heard. Like, why, why should I give up these luxuries? I've worked hard for them. I've earned them. I deserve them. Why? Why does unity matter? Why should we give our rights, our, our, our pride, and our life up? Well, Paul and Jesus give us the only two reasons we need. Why? for glory and for mission. That's why. Why? For glory and for mission. What do I mean by glory? Not your glory, not my glory, but for the glory of God. Unity matters for God's glory. Unity matters for God's glory. Paul says in Romans 15, 6, that Together, I love, together, two groups that were separated, two groups that were divided, brought together, that together you may, ready? With one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see this about Paul's theology. For Paul, the chief end of all he does is the glory of God. Everything is for the glory of God. Everything Paul does is for God's glory. And I love what Pastor Matt Chandler said, referring to God's glory. He said this, From the beginning to end, the scriptures reveal that the foremost desire of God's heart is not our salvation, but rather the glory of his own name. Wow. God's glory is what drives the universe. It is why Everything exists. This world is not present, spinning and sailing in the universe so that you and I might be saved or lost, but so God might be glorified in His infinite perfections. Let me just break that down to tell you what that means. That means that you're not the main character in this story, you're not the star in this movie. God is the main character. God is the star. It's not about our glory. It is about the glory of God. Why unify? Because it brings glory to God. Why lay down our rights and pick up the rights of another? Because it is an act of worship. And I love this. Despite all the church's differences, just think about all the differences, the tangible, the obvious differences, age, We have generational differences. Then that causes pain in the church. I know older people and younger people who actually begin to divide because of age. Old school and new school. and, And everyone is insecure about how old they are, how young they are. We divide over age. Think about race right now, culture, ethnicity. Despite all the church's differences, God is uniting his people so that the sound coming from the church building into the world is a song of praise of God's glorious grace. It is one voice singing glory to God who has made varied peoples, one people in Jesus Christ. Lastly, unity primarily matters for the glory of God, but unity matters for mission. Jesus said this in John 17, 23. In fact, in Jesus's last 24 hours, you know one of the things he prayed for? He prayed for us. He prayed that the church would be unified. And in verse 23 of John 17, Jesus says, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know. Unity is attractive. People long to love and be loved and a divided world. The church should be a mission that is beautifully united. Paul didn't just talk about it, but he lived mission. I wanna take some time to finish up today by sharing with you some of the church's past failures some of the church's current pains and our future hope. I don't know if you know this or not, but over the centuries, if there has been one place that the church has continually and miserably failed in, it's in the place of unity. I don't know if you know or not, but the church's history with unity is not very good. Jesus prayed we be united, but we have always failed in this place. For example, in Galatia, false teachers sowed seeds of discord, convincing many in the church to abandon the true gospel for the false gospel legalism. In Corinth... The church divided into factions of favorite pastors, right? That pastor's my favorite. I like the way that pastor looks. I like the way that pastor preaches. That pastor's funny. That pastor's educated. That pastor, the church in Corinth, much like us today, divided into factions of their favorite pastors. Some followed Paul. Some followed Apollos. Others preferred Peter. They even divided on how to handle a young man who persisted in incest. In Rome, this is crazy right here, guys. In Rome, the church in Rome, the church that Paul's writing this to, some scholars believe that the reason why this church was so heavily persecuted, listen, was because its own church members turned on one another and turned each other into the Roman authorities. In fact, this might mess you up a little bit because I know it messed me up. Theologian Oscar Coleman suggests that Peter and Paul were martyred as a result of other Christians turning them into Roman authorities and claiming that they were not being loyal citizens. Listen, listen, if this is true, if this is true, then we could honestly say Christians fed other Christians to the lions. And before you and I turn our nose up at the past, what about the church in America right now? Where's our unifying voice? What's going on with our pastors, our leaders? We're all saying different things. God forbid you go on internet. God forbid you look at Christians on Facebook and Twitter. And It's a crazy world out there. What's the voice? What's the word of God saying in this moment? Before we turn our noses up at the past, what about the church right now? I see political factions. If you've been at Inspire for any period of time, you know that I will not preach Democrat or Republican. I will preach the gospel, and I will preach that president and party should never be first, primary, before Christ and his church. I see political factions drawing lines in the sand on pulpits and pews. And at some churches, even your Christianity can be questioned based upon who you did or didn't vote for. I see racial divisions that have always been there and are right now in this moment spilling over for people to see. A lot of you might've heard about this this week past as I was witnessing the peaceful protest during the day and in some cases some places turning violent and aggressive at nights, As I was watching and praying and discerning, that word discerning is so important, with wisdom, with a prayerful heart, discerning what the enemy is doing and discerning what God is doing. Can I just disciple you for a moment, people of God? You need to discern before you just decide. You need to discern. You need to know that God is moving in this moment. God is exposing things in this moment. Light is shining in this moment, but darkness is creeping. Church, before we decide, we need to discern. And as I was discerning and seeing all these things happening, come to find out, and I'm not a conspiracy theory. This is verified. In many places, there were bad actors disguised as protesters infiltrating these peaceful protests and setting fires, destroying buildings, agitating police, And for the sake of this illustration, hear me out. Here is what was happening in some places. The credibility, listen, the credibility of the legitimate peaceful movement was being threatened by actions of imposters. Now, for the sake of the illustration, in the same way, this is how the enemy has always sought to destroy The gospel credibility of the body of Christ, the people of God, the church. Imposters claiming to be representations, representatives of God, misrepresent Him, divide the body, and distort the true gospel to the world. Listen and listen clearly. We should not be surprised that the world is divided. We shouldn't be surprised that the systems of the world are radically disenfranchised. We shouldn't be surprised that there are marginalized. We shouldn't be surprised that there is preference and privilege. Jesus told us this is how the world operates. The dominant and the strong, they dominate the weak. We shouldn't be surprised that the world is divided. But we should be provoked when we see that same radical division in the church of God. Whether it's first century Rome or 21st century America, God is calling us right now in this moment to become a unified church in a divided world. And even though it may feel like we're failing right now, there still is hope, There still is hope. I wanna say something, I wanna make a statement, then we're gonna pray. As a pastor, as a man, as a human being, as a church right now, I believe we should be standing up for justice. I believe wherever we see injustice, specifically what has been going on for centuries. I know some of you are still trying to get your mind around that. We should be seeing the pain of our black brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, you can say, well, this is happening and that's going on. Just stop with the butts right now. And as a church, can we begin to pray, and intercede? Can we lay down our lives? Lay down what we think we've earned, we deserve our rights, and begin to pray for justice and God's will could be done. Last thing I'm gonna say right now, some of us just want things to get back to normal. Like the pandemic has been crazy, like we just can't wait to get back to church. Can everything be normal? And then all of a sudden, there is this breakout of protest and this breakout of violence erupting in the street, and we're, we're doubly scared and we doubly want things to get back to normal. But could I say, Is it possible that God has allowed this disruption to take place so that we can stand up and be a voice for change? Be a voice for change and justice because justice and righteousness are the foundations of God's throne. So church, as your pastor, you have to discern before you decide. But what I've discerned for myself is this. Right now, God is calling us to lay down our lives for our black brothers and sisters and begin to do for them what Christ had did for us. Let's pray. Father, we need you. I need you. It is not easy to lay down our lives, but for the sake of unity and for the sake of the glory of God, we will do this. I know that some Listening to me right now might even think that this was a political sermon, but Father, I pray that your gospel will be glorified, your word would be clear, and I pray that everyone who's hearing my voice would discern before they decide. God, I just personally, I come against racism, I come against hatred, I come against white supremacy, I come against Lord. I I repent for the silence of the church. Lord, I pray that you would teach, teach us, show us, move us in compassion and sincerity and solidarity and empathy. We would lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not divided. We are one. Lord, let it start with me. Let it start with inspire. Let it start with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.